0: Wow, guys, today's episode is incredible. And I'm not just saying that to hook you, to draw you in. Uh, This may be the best podcast we've done yet. We have representative Rich Wingo coming in. We talk about Alabama politics a little bit, but once again, it is just a charge about biblical masculinity. We talk about his time playing for coach Bear Bryant, um, his life, how he got saved. uh, And we dive into the man church and the work he's doing with Rick Burgess and just hear incredible stories. Uh, of man answering God's call, not only to salvation, but also um, to carrying the mantle of fatherhood and loving their wives and training their children. You're not gonna wanna miss this. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture, culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome everyone to 1819 News, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of this year' podcast where we are pursuing a free and flourishing Alabama with each and every podcast we produce. So today I've got a really exciting episode. I've got a very special guest uh, who will fit right into that theme of biblical masculinity that we've been hitting uh, podcast after podcast, because that seems to uh, courage and masculinity are the great need of the hour for uh, our state. And so we're going to uh, lean right into that again. So um, and before we jump into that, guys, I got to tell you, if, if you've not subscribed to the 1819 newsletter, uh, you're definitely missing out. You want to go to the website. There's a button that says subscribe doesn't cost you any money. We're not going to sell your information. You go there, put your email address in and at 530 every morning. Uh, you're going to get the newsletter that has all the news of the day, all the opinions that matter and all the podcasts that we've produced so that you're not missing out on anything. So uh, as I said, we have a very special guest in studio. If you're watching, you see him, and uh, it is one Mister Rich Wingo. Rich, thank you so much for joining us. Brian, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And so um, before we jump uh, whole har, you know, whole hog into it, tell us a little bit about. So you are, are a state representative out of Tuscaloosa.
1: I'm a state representative uh-huh. for about what five more days. Five more days. Yeah.
0: That's right. We got you on the tail end here, <laughs> and it's it's um it's sad. Mike Holmes is my neighbor. He lives uh-huh. like. Few houses down, I live in Wetumpka, and seeing you know you, um, him, Andrew Sorrell is, is staying, but moving on to a different position, and so um, I do think there is some excitement about some of the people coming in. I know uh, Ernie Yarbrough, is someone I am really excited about coming in, um, you know, assuming he gets elected, yeah, um, and 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 others. So hopefully the you know your your absence isn't too hard you know right. felt, but but I am sure um, from what everyone says about you. Uh, you have a very strong presence and, and leadership, and when you decide to speak up about something, everyone listens. So I think that's a good compliment. Well,
1: it, it, you got a great neighbor. Yeah, Mike is a wonderful. I mean, he is—he's that guy you can put your back up against. Yeah. But uh, I was always two terms. Yeah. When I took took it eight years ago, I was always committed to two term limit self imposed. Yeah. I think everybody should. Yeah. Uh, two or three terms and get out. And not make it a profession, but uh, let somebody else go.
0: Amen. I think you know, not to get all back into original philosophy. I think that was kind of the whole idea: is like, yeah. hey, look, I'm I work exactly. I you know I make money. I'm part of society. I'm going to give that up for eight years to go and 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 per, you know uh, perform my civic duty, and then I'm going to go back to being a citizen rather than the whole career politician. That thing. was the so plan. I think that's honorable.
1: That was the plan.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad you stuck to it. I know some people who've made those campaign promises about term limits that <clears throat> whenever that term limit creeps up on them, all of a sudden it changes. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Well, um, today I want to talk about, uh, kind of your life and background playing football with coach bear Bryant, what that was like, um, dive into Alabama politics a little bit, cause why not? And then, um, and I want to finish with talking about the man church. I think that's a really special ministry. Fantastic. Um, and yeah, and just that biblical manhood theme we'll jump into. So tell us, um, about your life, where you grew up, your parents, um, things that shaped you, molded you, brought you into who you are.
1: Well, I was raised in Northern Indiana, Elkhart. Uh, it's right on the Michigan line. And uh, wonderful family, wonderful Christian parents, and uh, two sisters. And uh, we just, I was raised in a great home, a great church family. And uh, Coach Bryant recruited me. Uh, I was looking to go to, had committed to Notre Dame and, and, uh, Coach Bryant, uh, I just felt it was too far from home and uh, actually committed to Notre Dame. And my father, I came home from that visit that weekend and my father said, that's a great school. You get a great education. He said, but Rich, I don't want to see you come through that back door until Christmas time because I was 20 minutes from Notre Dame. He wanted yeah. me to grow up. Yeah. And when, you know, when he was 17 and left high school, he went and fought in the world war mm. and he wanted me to... separate. And so that, after that, that's, you know, hurt my feelings actually, you know, honestly. And so I I told my high school coach, I wanted to visit Alabama because they had recruited me and I did. I came down here. It was February. It was 70 degrees and beautiful. And I left 13 below, you know, in Chicago and, but I wanted to be a part of something special. Coach Bryant uh, said, if I wanted to be a part of something and work hard, pay a price, I was welcome. If I didn't, put me on a plane and send me home. Wow. So,
0: well, um, I mean, and, and so everybody in their life, they come to these pivotal, um, forks in the road and decisions that you have to make. What can you imagine if, if you didn't make that decision, you go to Notre Dame, what your life would have been like versus going to Alabama.
1: I know who would have known. I would have never met my wife Yeah. of 42 years, my beautiful wife, uh, Sherry. And, we would have never had our two sons and our five grandchildren and you, know, you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah, God's plan.
0: Amen. That's right. And I can think of a, a couple of those forks where it really is, you know, this way or that. And so um talk about we had uh, coach Gene Stallings that was such an honor and blessing that for him to join my podcast um and talk a little bit about his life, obviously playing for coach Bryant at um Texas A&M, the Junction Boys and all yeah. those stories. Wow. Um you know, and it, he he made it a, a point because I think, you know, in our super soft kind of society that we have now, you know, the, people look back on the junction boys and they like, oh, I can't believe he did uh-huh. that. And it's like, no, you don't understand. That's what makes men. And the reason we're in the situation that we're in right now is because we don't have enough of those junction boy moments, these rites of passage. And I, and I think there was a time in college football when college football was a rite of passage. You came in as a boy and you left as a man. Um, you know, I'm not going to jump into whether that's happening or not now, but you know, it was, it was definitely something you could see, um, then. And, and one of the things that, uh, coach Stallings talked about was, you know, bear Bryant's gift for turning boys into men and how many of the people that went and played for him went on to have, you know, be fathers, to be husbands, to be business owners and leave a generational legacy, you know, thinking of, um, you, uh, Bob Baumhauer, um, John Croyle, like guys like that. And it's just. It's really amazing to see how one man can leave that much of a ripple effect. And so, talk a little bit about what it was like uh, playing for the Bear.
1: Well, I will. And, but one thing I do worry about today, yeah, with everything that's going on just this year, you know, I couldn't imagine being a coach today with having the ability to know that if I get on this player, because he desperately needs someone to tough love him Mm -hmm. and make him do things that he doesn't want to do. I mean, that's what coaches do. Yeah. That he has the opportunity to never come back. Yeah. He's going to the portal. Yeah. He's going to transfer tomorrow, and he's being paid. Yeah. He can leave whenever he wants to leave. I mean, I'm sorry, but when I was 18, 19 years old, I was very immature, I bet you were too, yeah, and <laughs> tremendously and so. we we do stupid things, yeah, and we don't like to be told what to do at that age
0: yeah.
1: I can't I couldn't imagine coaching today. I yeah. would think it's extremely difficult.
0: I think there's um, a commitment issue and I, and obviously a commitment to a college isn't the same thing as a covenant, but you are making you know you you you're there, you're playing, you've joined this team, you go through you know summer camp and you've developed this camaraderie and all these things and then to just pick up and leave cuz you don't like the way things are going that sets a pattern to me for i got married and you know what That's you great. know she's really driving me crazy i'm out of here great point. or you know you get into a job, job. you know Psh, i'm out of here cuz you don't like it and and that really is a big difference between a boy and a man is i'm taking my ball and going home or you know what i committed to doing this i'm going to see it through to the end and you know i think if i persevere through this you know god will do something good out of it
1: yeah. no you're exactly right
0: yeah so you're not an NIL fan is what I hear you saying. No, I'm not. Yeah.
1: I mean, we survived. We did fine. I think if you leave it in man's hand, they'll ruin everything. Yeah. I think that's what they've done to college football. Man. You know, when I was there, you know, we, we lived in a dorm. Uh, they they paid for our food. We They paid for our education. We felt blessed that we were getting a free education. We had to work for it. We worked extremely hard um, there's a price to be paid, but what an honor. Amen. And today I feel like these young people feel entitled because yeah. they're made to feel entitled. Yeah, And I think it's just, a, I wouldn't raise my sons that way. I don't Amen. think you'd raise yours. No. And, and so why would you, you know, if you really love someone, the greatest thing, the best thing you can do is love them. And sometimes that means make them do things they don't want to do. Amen. And so that's, that's sport. That's the beauty of sport. Yeah. So I hate to see what's happening.
0: Yeah. And that was a um, coach stalling said, you know, look, he's like, I don't really know all that much about the NIL and all this, uh, the technicalities of it or anything. He said, but at the end of the day when we were coaching, we paid for a young man's education and that meant something and they were grateful and they worked hard for it and they were part of a team and there was a oneness and a unity that existed. And it wasn't about either player. It was about the team. Uh, and it does appear that you know the more uh, individual incentives and and freedom to leave and all those things that you're talking about, um, they don't learn that, and and that no doubt that's going to affect them in the long run. It's going to affect our society in the long run. It's a shame. I hate to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, bring us back to the days before that happened. I... No, that's good. I this got is, off this, the subject. I love it. This is what we do. We just we talk. Yeah. So bring us back to the days before all that. What what was it like playing for the Bear? Um, you know how did how did that launch you into life?
1: Well, coach Brian, I don't think liked me too much. Um, he kicked me off the team.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. And that's a whole another story. Yeah. But, uh, one day at practice and, uh, a week before our first game, I was a starting middle linebacker and he kicked me off the team, kicked me off the field. And, uh, I met him in his office that night after practice. And he told me he thought I was a good player. He thought he was a good coach, but he just wasn't sure if he wanted me on his team. Broke my heart, crushed me. Yeah, He told me that I was satisfied and content with where I was. And he said, I want people around me that are sold out, all in, committed. And uh, he said, Rich, you're not. I was starting. I started yeah. the year before as a sophomore. But that's not what he was taught. He said he could take people, less of an athlete. He said, I can take those guys, and I can win championships with those guys because they want to get a little better every single day. Wow. And uh, And he was spot on. And uh, by the grace of God, the next day he took me back. He told me that uh, we'll pretend like nothing ever happened. And in fact, everything happened, as yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I was the first person on the field, the last to leave, the one that was in every drill, gave it everything they had, you know, in the weight room, in the in the film room, you know, that day, the next day, the next day. and Wow. Over a period of time, you know, I got it. I came from a place of commit content to committed. Yeah. And, uh, it's because just what we're talking about, Brian, yeah. it's because he cared enough about me to push me, to take me to a place that I didn't want to go. Yeah. And I'm so thankful that he, he got me there and the, in the years at green Bay, the seven years I played at green Bay. I mean, you know, I would always look back on that. Wow. And that was the difference in my football and probably my life as far as effort and, uh, So coach Bryant had a huge impact on my life. Uh, and, uh,
0: yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I'm glad I asked that question.
1: Yeah. I don't really enjoy telling that story too
0: much, (laughs) you know, but those are those transformative moments, you know, and especially for men. I mean, I think humans in general, but you know, you come into that, you know, one again, you look at those, those decisions where you can go two ways or those moments when your life would never be the same. Um, And so,
1: but see, today, if he were to kick Rich Wingo off the team his junior year, starting inside linebacker, I would have had my nose in the air and I would have gone to the portal. Yeah. And I would have gone to some, just given up. Yeah. And missed the greatest lesson that I could have learned.
0: Mm, That's crazy to think about. You know, um, you're taking a a huge tool out of these coaches' tool belt um, by just letting them do that. It's awful. Well, um, talk about, uh, if you will, um, becoming a Christian and, and when that happened for you and how that came about. I'd love to hear that.
1: It was my uh, fourth year at Green Bay, and uh, Brian, from the world's view, I had it made. Yeah. Married to my college Sweetheart Sherry, for 42 years now. Yeah. Um, starting middle linebacker for the Green Bay Packers. Man, that yeah. was my life's dream. Yeah. God, I mean, you know, does it get any better? Yeah. And, and, uh, but going about halfway through the season, there was something terribly missing and it had nothing to do with football, but football didn't fulfill. And I came to a place in my life where I just said, there's gotta be more to life than this. Yeah. And, uh, I was searching and really searching and, uh, trying to figure out what's going on and what's happening. And God stationed a man in my life. His name was John Anderson. Andy was an All-American outside linebacker for Michigan. Andy was my roommate for seven years when we would travel on the road. And yeah. Andy was in charge of chapel services, and he would always invite me to chapel. And seldom would I ever go. We'd get in town on a Saturday afternoon. They'd, we'd meet and have chapel and then, you know, play the game on Sunday. But uh, seldom did I go just because I knew what was right, but I always chose what was wrong. Yeah. And uh, I was raised in a church. We talked about this. Yeah. I was raised in a, a strict Baptist church in northern Indiana. My parents did a wonderful job. My dad was a deacon. My mom taught Sunday school. So, I mean, listen, I was raised in the church. I knew what was right. It's just that I chose to do. I wanted to live my life. Yeah. And uh, I was lost. You know, the Bible says that the evidence of your salvation is by the fruit. And I was bearing no fruit. I walked the aisle. I, I checked the box. I, I was baptized. I checked that back when I was 12 years old. But I was, I was as lost as lost could be. Yeah. And uh, Andy invited me to chapel. We were playing the New York Jets in New York. And uh, he said, Rich, come. There's going to be a famous baseball player, New York Yankee, Hall of Famer. And so I thought, well, I'm searching. Yeah. I'll go. So I went. I don't even remember his name. I just remember one thing that he said. He said he envisioned judgment day being like this. And he said that he stepped through a turnstile and Jesus Christ was seated on his right and Satan was seated on his left. And he said, Almighty God, the God of Isaiah 6, was was on this unbelievable throne. And he said, It was just, he said the words I couldn't even express, I couldn't even look at. He had my attention. And he said, when it was my turn, this huge semi truck backed up. And Satan stands up, opens the tractor trailer doors, and it's packed full of computer printout paper. That the truck, you know, remember how computer printout paper was? It was all connected and the smallest print possible. And he said, he said that Satan grabbed the end of it and he started reading. And he said, I, "He's reading the filthiest, sickest, most perverted sin you and I have ever heard." Yeah. And 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 he said in front of God, and he said in front of Jesus, who gave His life for for this sin. And and he said, all of a sudden, I realized that what he was reading was my sin. Wow. Those were all. That truck is packed full of my sin. And he's and now now he's really got my attention. And he said that. He said, in front of God, and he said, it just goes on and on, the sins of the mind, the sins of the, the mouth, the arrogance, the flesh, the filth, the lust, the, the anger, the pain. He said, it's all, and he just goes on. He's loving it, and it's God finally interrupts him and looks at him, and he said, what about it? And he said, before I could just say, Father, just cast me to hell, because that's what I deserve. He said, Jesus stood up, put his hand on the Father and said, Father, he's with me. And I remember sitting there in that New York hotel meeting room saying to myself Jesus Christ would never stand for me. I'm a I'm a joke. Yeah. I'm a liar. From the world's view I was a good guy. Yeah. I didn't do drugs. I didn't I didn't cheat on my wife, but I would have. Yeah. Cuz I was searching. I was yeah. going and I couldn't wait to get out of there. I'd like to tell you I gave my life to Christ. I was too prideful, too arrogant. I didn't want my teammates to see me. Yeah. And three weeks I ran from Almighty God. And I found myself in an empty Green Bay locker room one night. The last guy there, I don't know how, I don't know why, I don't know where the managers, I don't know where the trainers were. I was just in my locker, and I was just sitting there saying, I mean, I'm I'm the middle linebacker for the Green Bay, but I'm the signal caller, I'm the quarterback of the team, and I could care less about the game. Yeah. And I just begged Jesus Christ. I said, "Man, if you are real, come into my life, change me, mm. take control of my life. No longer am I the authority in my life; that that you be the authority." And then I put my mm. faith and my trust in you, and and He did. I mean, I, Brian, I was one of those guys that was radically changed. I mean, people thought I got a concussion or something. They thought I would yeah. lost my mind. You know, I was the talk. Did you hear about? Did you see? You know. Yeah. I was that guy.
0: Amen. Amen. Yeah. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that with us.
1: Thanks for giving me the opportunity.
0: Yeah. So um, it'll be an interesting transition here going from that very great thing to, um, you know, with you being a state representative, um, you're for the last eight years, you are all too familiar with Alabama politics. And, you know, supposedly there was a big change in 2010, you know, the Republican wave and it's going to be conservative now. And I think for a few years it might have been, I don't, I don't really know. And, but, you know, it it appears to me that we're, we're trailing off. And, and one of, one of the things that I always say when I'm explaining things to people is say, look, we're in Alabama and we have a Republican supermajority. And so if you watch Fox news and you see what's going on in California or Washington, DC, or, you know, New York, you think, oh my gosh, Republican supermajority, woohoo. Um, <clears throat> Republicans, good Democrats, bad, whatever. And that's kind of the Fox news lens as, as, as I describe it. But the problem is human nature as we were just talking about human nature. <clears throat> anytime there's unchecked power, whether it's Republican or Democrat, it's bad for the people. And so there's no Democrat party holding the Republicans accountable. And until we came along, there was no media outlet holding the Republicans accountable. And so what you have is unchecked power and, um, unchecked power is, is bad, whether it has an RRD by its name and it's bad for the people. So one of the things we've wanted to do is, at least to, to the best of our ability, um, provide a, a, a free press uh, that that holds them accountable. And, and if they say they're going to do something, we want to see them do it and things like that. But what what do you think are some of the most pressing issues for the state right now that, that need to happen from a political standpoint? I think, obviously, Christ, masculinity all those things for sure. But But from a political policy standpoint, what do you think are some things that really need to happen?
1: Wow. First, thank you for being that voice. Yeah. Um, that's such a broad question. So (laughs) uh, what I will tell you is what I think a better way to answer is maybe what I fear the most that that's going to happen in this next quadrennium. Maybe is that the way to go?
0: I'm fearful that no, this is exactly right. I'm
1: fearful that gambling, uh, will, as soon as they go into session, uh, in March, I think that they will have a, one or two or three gambling bills. I don't see the people in the legislation, in the House. Um, I used to lead that charge for eight years, and I was the thorn in their flesh. I was the one that continually ki- tried to kill and eventually did kill bills and other people, but God just used me yeah. to just get in the way long yeah. enough to uh, kill the bill. Yeah. And I think in March, I think we're going to have gambling bills coming from all over the place because Mm. it's money. Our governor supports it, which I hate that. And we have a Republican majority, but the Republicans voted for it. Yeah. Um, And uh, I even had the Speaker of the House ask me, where in the Bible does it say gambling? You know, are you serious? You really want to go there? Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, I just think we're in trouble. Yeah, that, that scares me.
0: I think so. One of the the things that we really wanted to bring to light, um, you know, early on, and we did last year. And one of the the impetuses to start 1819 News was there's so many things that are going on in the state that no one knows about. You have Al.com, which is a radical left outlet. You know, it serves the interest of the left. You've got these other outlets that are supposed to be decidedly not AL.com, but they're really just serving the interest of Republican leadership and the lobbying arms in the state. The people didn't have their media outlets. so we wanted to be that media outlet for the people and bring this information that there was no way they could have yeah. known. And so two years ago, the bill that was introduced, and it was a very similar bill that was introduced uh, this, this, this year, and then it'll be a similar bill, I assume, in, in the next year, was that um, – the egregiousness of it is it was probably the most corrupt thing I'd ever heard of in politics. And they were just right out front. They didn't even hide it. They, they wanted to create five exclusive gambling licenses and, and hand pick, right? Not, not bid them out, not see if Trump or Steve Wynn wanted to come in here. Not like none of that. They wanted to hand pick the people and the people that they were hand picked that they were going to hand pick were the people who've been running gambling establishments illegally for the last twenty or thirty years in the state of Alabama and they were going to reward that criminal activity by giving them writing their names into the, the state constitution to be able to exclusively right run these things in perpetuity um and and emblazon that into the state constitution. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. And no one knew. Like you would tell people they're like, no. No, I'm way. Like, no yo yeah. And so, um, thankfully, this, I guess, this um, legislative session, it feels weird because we're coming up on another one, but I guess this year's, um, they they tried something similar, uh, and, you know, hopefully we were able to sound the alarm. Again, it's not our goal to affect legislation. Our goal is to to let the people of Alabama know what's going on so that they can get loud and let their representatives know or so that they can do what they need to do with that information. Um, And I think if the people of Alabama knew what was going on in Montgomery, a lot of things would change. I do too, um, but they just don't know, and it's designed that way. Because the moment a camera gets onto Montgomery, you know, one of the people down there is like, "I hate Joe Biden. You hate Joe Biden. We hate Joe Biden together." You know, Putin. That's right. It's like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? That's right. I elected you. What are you doing? And they don't want to talk about that. No,
1: no. <laughs> and half of them don't know. Yeah. Half of the legislators don't know. Yeah. The truth, just like you talked about. Yeah. And the other half that do, the others don't believe, and it's so true. Yeah. And, and the bad thing is is that we've got a group of Republicans that have an R behind their name, but they're moderates. Yep. they're not Republican and,
0: and but they run on the Republican ticket. Oh yeah, every four years they got their guns and Bibles out baby That's right. you know but, but the next three years, not so much. And they throw the far right rock at us. That's their way of trying to dis- discredit us. You know, when you come out and say, like, I'm not sure the people of Alabama would be for that, you know, gambling bill. We're going to tell them, well, you're just far right. You're just trying to push your Christian beliefs on people because you're far right. Like, that's the accusation all the time. You mentioned the, the 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 budget surplus year after year after year after year after record budget after record budget after record surplus after record surplus. They can't They can't get enough money. And they're talking about we need another savings account. We need a rainy day fund. We need to give this money to our friends. The last thing we're going to do is give it back to the people. Why would we do that? You bring that up. You guys are just far right. You know that you guys are crazy. Y'all are just far right. And it's like, I mean, I mean, you took the money from us. I mean, baby, I think the people of Alabama would it's like to know money. what you're doing with it. You're just far right. You know, you know, another one. Well, you know, some of this curriculum that you're teaching in schools, um, you know, encouraging homosexuality and perversion, uh, genital mutilation for children and all this kind of stuff. You guys are just far right. That's not happening in our schools. You need to provide evidence. That's what they always say. You need to provide evidence. Allison Sinclair, who runs local Alabama, who does a podcast, uh, Alabama unfiltered and Stephanie Smith and these other people are just loading up the evidence here, here, here. They're like, well, I mean, not that kind of evidence, but it's like, yeah, you can't, you know? And so, um, but that's always the rock that they try to use. It's these squishy moderates that you're talking about that run right of Reagan every four years. You know, I, I love Jesus. I love the constitution. I love babies I get holding a shotgun over one arm and a baby in the other with a cross around their neck every four years and then they get down there and throw the far right rocket. Anybody who actually wants to do what they said they were going to do when they ran. So you nailed it. Yeah. It's uh, it hurts to watch, but we, I think there's hope. I really do. I think, I think God is doing something. I think, you know, I don't know if you're a CS Lewis fan, um, but, uh, I think Aslan is on the move, right? I think, I think he's raising people up. I think he's building an army, uh, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen. So that's my thought. Um, what do you think, uh, one thing, so we, we talked a little bit about budgets and surpluses and, and all those things. What about um, the the teachers' union, uh, the AEA, and everybody has kind of different opinion on this. I know the AEA has worked really hard since they essentially kind of died in 2010 from the old AEA of the Paul Hubbard days and all this other stuff. What's interesting is that's what, you, when you talk to people, you're like, oh, the AEA is not what they, you know, nah, 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 nah. And it's like, but then we we reported that you know they gave you know one point six million dollars to Republicans in the last election cycle, and they're pushing super hard against school choice. And if you poll school choice, and they have polled school choice across Alabama, seventy eight percent of Alabamians, black, white, Republican, Democrat, seventy eight percent want school choice, and school mm-hmm. choice is just pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. So I think that's another issue that that needs some focus.
1: I think it is. I. I was glad to see those statistics. I don't I haven't dug deep on those statistics this past week about coming out of COVID, our math scores, our reading scores, you know. Um, I know we've made some positive changes in the yeah. past 4 years in our education and I think we'll start to see I, hope. I do too. Yeah. I do too because there's been a ton of work legitimate yeah people that really care, legislators that really care about our education uh have put a ton of time into this surrounded ourselves with people better than yeah. ourselves around the country finding out what they've been doing how they're doing it and trying to implement that and i think we're seeing some of that come out yeah. so i hope so but i yeah. that building that education building down there yeah. i think they could empty most of it yeah. and we'd be just fine
0: amen all right well we will dive away from uh the ugly subject and and talk about something. I think you're probably uh, infinitely more passionate about. Um, you know, when I had um, Rick Burgess and, and Bill Bussey, Rick and Bubba in here, um, I, I, I was, I was, you know, i had had a phone conversation with Rick and he talked to me a little bit about man church, but I wasn't fully aware of it. And I, I, I always just like to talk about bis- biblical masculinity. Anytime I get another guy who's, you know, Bible believing man in here and say, Hey, you know, what do you think? And they go and man, Rick went off, you Dang. know, and it was fantastic. And uh, he said, you know, every time, every, every Father's Day, every single year, you know you're going to go in there and you know the sermon you're going to hear. Barna Research, Barna Research says it right here. Ninety, you know, if the if if, if the child gets saved, two percent of the house, you know, two percent right. chance the rest of the household gets saved. If the mom, it's twenty percent. But if the dad gets saved, ninety three percent of the household right. gets saved. And then you go in there and you look at church budgets. And they've got, you know, a whopping women's ministry budget and a whopping children's ministry budget. And their men's ministry uh, budget is, is is, is, it's is unbelievable. you know, it's like a couple hundred bucks to have an old football player to come and, 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 and you know, share their testimony or something. And it's like, whoa. Um, and so I love, love, love what he's doing. Uh, I love the way he's doing it. And, and you're a part of that. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. And it's an honor. And Rick's a dear friend and a brother. Uh, but he's right. I mean... There'll be times where I'll go sit with a pastor or sit at a, in a pew with a pastor before you know we speak that night and I'll say, so tell me about your men's ministry yeah and I, I know right off the bat because if he tries to change the subject and says, well, you know, hey, we got an awesome women's ministry. you ought to see our youth pastor I mean you know and just starts to but tell me about your men's ministry and it's amazing how many churches I mean, if we really, really, really believe the Word of God, that God has given you and I to be physically, emotionally, and spiritually stronger, if we really believe that, you know, so that we can lead our families, then why aren't you investing in those men as a pastor, as a church? Yeah. And it's everything.
0: And they're not. And I go to a a much smaller church than a lot of the churches people think of when they think of the South. Um, You know, I think we have hundred or so members, 120, something like that. Maybe, maybe not even that big, but even up, you know, at times we were up to 200, but one of the the, the radical changes we made was, you know, and, and thank God for my pastor, we're going to focus on the fathers. Yeah. We're going to focus on the men. And what's been interesting is you get men to take responsibility for their household and they really step up as the chief disciple maker in their home. And they understand their responsibility to provide, protect, and purify. And by purifying your washing your wife in the water of the word and you're training your children right. up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And, you know, um, and, and, and they really grab onto that and they feel like, you know, um, that in, in what you begin to see is, is it says in the Bible, you know, God begins to turn the, the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And, 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 and another thing, um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's one of my favorite, uh, theologians of old, they say he was probably one of the last Puritans, he has went out and studied, or he did in his lifetime, studied like tangible, real, legitimate revivals, and you know, in in the South specifically, they talk about revivals, and it's like we're gonna have a revival on Tuesday. It's like I mean, I don't know if you can call it like we're gonna have a revival. Like he's talking about like legitimate, measurable, right, nation changing. God breathes His Spirit on a land, and everything has changed forever. Revivals, and and one of the things that Martin Lloyd Jones said every one of those big big revivals uh the the common denominator in all of them was uh, a high view of the sovereignty of god and men taking responsibility for their families family reformation um and that is it i mean it, it's it's unbelievable and and so anyway i'm rambling at this point i'll i'll let you jump in <laughs> well you
1: mentioned john Crow. john uh, called me about uh, 28 29 years ago and in my office here in Vestavia. And uh, John being John, he never introduces himself. He just, and John's a friend and a mentor. And so he just started talking. He goes, I picked up the phone. He goes, Rich, I'm going to see Jake. Jake was my oldest son, probably seven or eight years old at the time. He said, I'm going to see Jake this Saturday and I'm going to walk up to Jake and I'm going to say, Hey, Jake, who's the godliest man in your life? He said, Rich, what's he going to say? Is he going to say my pastor, my Sunday school teacher, my grandfather, he said, Rich, listen, if he doesn't say my dad without hesitation, he said, you're failing miserably as a father, wow. and he slammed the phone down. That's what men desperately need. I remember sitting in my chair that day. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning. I remember leaning back in my chair saying to myself, well, I mean, Jake could hit a baseball, make a tackle. He shot his first deer, his first ter- you know We've checked all the dad's boxes but would he say my dad without hesitation? I remember saying, how, how many temper tantrums, how many curse words, how many drinks does it take to lose your witness for Christ? And so that's what men desperately need. We, we, iron sharpens iron just as one man sharpens another. We desperately need that. Listen, Satan, Satan loves men who feel awkward about talking about Jesus. Satan loves men that have no impact, no influence in the kingdom of God, none. Satan loves those guys that go to church, but they never share their testimony. They say, I'll do it tomorrow. They, just, they, have no, they don't share their testimony because they don't have one. Yeah. And so th- this is what man church is about. Man church is a high challenge to men. Mm-hmm. It gets past all the small talk. You cut through all the crap and you get to the bottom line does your life point people to Jesus Christ or doesn't it? Are you influenced by Christ or are you dominated by Christ? Huge Mm -hmm. difference because almighty God, Brian is so sick of weak, Mm -hmm. passive men with thoughtless prayers that just pray to pray. He is sick and tired of those men and, Unfortunately, those are the men that he talks about, Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, and he doesn't know you. And so that's what man church is about, and it's, it's a life or death thing. And and so what Rick has started is truly ordained by God he, in a humble, just a, he, he was called to do it. He, he At our church, I have First Baptist Tuscaloosa, we have man church. And uh, the men are being fed through the curriculum of the man church. It's awesome. It's weekly. And uh, so I would encourage anybody out there, man, to get into it.
0: It's powerful. How do churches, so like if there's a pastor listening to this and he's like, man, how do we get man church at my church? What's the process? What
1: is it? Rick Burgess, what is it? (laughs)
0: Rickandbubba.com? Rickandbubba.com. Yeah. And just (laughs) Helmsy.
1: Yeah. You can plug into man church right there. Yeah. And you can walk through the steps. You can call Rick. Okay. You know, or you can call me. I mean, and, uh, but, uh, I mean, men desperately, desperately need Christ. Amen. And especially in the South, you know, and that's one thing I've noticed since COVID is that there's not as much gray anymore. I don't know if you've noticed that.
0: It was a curse and a blessing.
1: That's right. In our church. There's not near as many people but there's not a lot of gray yeah you either are you're either all in you're committed everything or or you're not and you know you don't go to church anymore because you're tired of playing that game yeah. so you know it's like it's like elijah uh first kings 18 20 where he's elijah's standing there in front of 450 lost men and and he's He's just simply saying listen and this is paraphrased but he's simply saying stop wavering between two opinions either you know if Jehovah God is your god give him everything you've got but if if the world is your god then give the world everything you've got but stop this nonsense of wavering one foot in church and and one foot in the world you know i i lived that life and that was a miserable life that was a lost life and 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 Elijah challenges you and i to, to, to make a decision, either you're all in for Jesus Christ or you're all in for the world, but stop this nonsense of playing this ridiculous game. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I think COVID's done to some degree. When you look in the church, those people that are in the church are there to seek God. They're there to be fed.
0: Our church grew through COVID because we have a small church, right? And we have a small church with a faithful pastor who was unafraid of tyranny and lockdowns and fear and all the stuff. We just said no to it. Um, and people flock to our church because they they people follow courage and they and and then they got to hear, oh wow, this is the real preaching of the word. We expect something of our men here. This is amazing, right? And I think that's one more point I want to jump into and we can wrap up. Expect more of men, not less. And I think there's this this thing that's happened in churches because, you know, you know, and, and Rick talked about this. Our churches are so feminized. The music we sing is effeminate. The decorations and the buildings are effeminate. There's like flower arrangements and all this stuff. Everything, everything is meant to, to, to kind of draw in women. And so, so men feel out of place and because they feel out of place, like if you can get them to just come one Sunday a month, we feel like we're really winning. And it's like, no, 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 no. The, the less you expect of men, the less you will get, the more you expect of men, the more you challenge. And they're exactly, and I think a lot of pastors are so worried that they're going to run off the men they do have if they bring expectations Fair rather than understanding the dynamic of men to rise to challenge and 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 God is is calling is challenging men. and so the the pastor just needs to be a conduit to that challenge and and raise men up. and so um
1: I have a friend real quick i have yeah. a, I have a friend pastor in uh, West Palm Beach and they have a community in Zimbabwe that their church has been affiliated with. They take care of the orphans and it's just a dynamic ministry for years. It's been that way for years, people back and forth. The people of the tribe, the community in Zimbabwe wanted to thank these people from West Palm Beach. The pastor's telling me this story. And uh, so they take him on a photo safari Mm -hmm. and they go out and and they they keep telling him, don't get too close, a lioness is with a cub and somebody got too close and that lion is charged. And he, and Tom told me, he said that his best friend was standing right here to his left and, and then his best friend's wife was here. And he said, just out of the corner of his eye, all this is happening at one time. And he said, he saw his friend take his wife and do this. And Tom thought it was funny. He was telling me this story because he thought it was funny and then the lion stopped and everybody, but the whole group saw what took place. And man, I'll never forget after him telling me, I thought, that's exactly, I mean, that's exactly what's going on with our men and our, they're taking their wives, men are taking their wives and they're as putting them as the spiritual leader to fight mm. the spiritual battles. Uh, of of they're, the the wives are the ones that are having devotions. The wives are the one that are praying at meals. The wives are the one that are getting the kids in bed and and getting them dressed on Sunday, man, for church. That the wives are being the leaders of that home, the spiritual leaders, because the men aren't doing their job. Whew. And number one, I know that guy got a butt you in that night. Yeah, but the, you know that he thought it was funny. I thought it was pathetic.
0: That I almost threw up when you said it. The thought of it, like, wow. And um, I know. Man. <laughs> but I think that is, is a direct metaphor. And uh, in, in doing that and moving our wife into that spiritual leadership role, there's a part of that where, where you know, it says our adversary is, is, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And in, in doing that, we're doing the same thing. We were built to shoulder that responsibility. Right. And then when we take a woman who and again, it's not to say there's anything wrong with women. We're different and you put them into that role and you're forcing them into that role, it's not going to work. It's not their role. No, no. And that's, and and, and you're asking anyway, I mean, you can go on and on and on, but it's, 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 it's,
1: we're the architect. Yeah. You and I are the architect of our family and however our family goes, you have seven children. Amen. However our family goes, it's on you. Yeah. And, and you can't deny it. And it's on you good or bad. It's on you as the man. We are the architect. Own it, amen. And men, men need to be prepared to own it. And I'd love to tell you a story, but yeah. do I have time? Yeah, we
0: got all the time in the world. So, <laughs> if so we're gonna go in at this rate. Keep going. So
1: so Burgess, yeah, Rick invites. We we go down to Dolphin Way Baptist Church, and you know, right there off the interstate, you yeah. can see that big old Dolphin Way Baptist yeah. Church, and in Mobile. And we have a big men's conference. Rick's speaking. I'm just hanging out. And and they've got some great speakers. Rick closes for the night. we got 2,000, 3,000 men there. And I will never forget this, Brian. And if there's any man out there, man, I just... And so Rick gives an invitation, and the altar fills up with men. And it's just men, hurting men. And so I, I get up and I go to, to, to start putting my arm around guys and talking salvation and just how do we get to where we need to get to? And, and there was some athletes, there, football players from up North Alabama, and a whole van of them came down at my invitation. and they, so they came a couple of those guys came to Christ that night. So the rest of the guys that were sa- came down, so they all ended up around me and we heard this man, I'm not talking about weeping, I'm talking about wailing. I've never heard this sound before. And Rick's calling men to the altar. And and so I hear this wailing and it's so loud and and it it hurts me to even think about it. And I start walking that way towards this man to to minister to this man. And, And I didn't realize that these football players came with me. And then I saw Rick come down off the podium and Rick ministered to that man, and I mean, it was so loud, it was so painful. And I remember looking back at these athletes, these football players, these beautiful young men, hoss yeah. of guys. Yeah. I lo- and I said, "Don't you ever forget that sound? That sound is the sound of regret. That's a man's life of regret, right? Don't whatever you do, the rest of your life, don't ever forget that sound mm. of regret." And that man came to Christ that night, but I will never forget. And there's so many men out there that are living a life of regret. They're wasting their life. And they know it. Their life is consumed with sin. And they're just going to live and die like that guy would have, like Esau. Esau lived a life of regret, finished on his face in, in Hebrews Weeping, crying out to God, and God, the Bible says, and God did not hear his prayer. Wow. Whew. That's powerful. Well, that's, we don't want anybody, that's why men, that's why this man church is what it is. It's because it's just getting past all. Yeah. the What Satan wants us to get hung up on, and it's just Jesus.
0: Yeah. Good. Well, I want to keep going, but I also think that I mean I think we packed a whole lot for for the men listening and the people listening and even wives listening. Um, but I think this would be a good a good we, we gave we gave them, them a lot I well, think okay. and that was a bunch of truth packed into a real short amount of time because I felt I thought we'd been in here for like an hour and fifteen minutes we're only at forty five minutes and so we you know praise God we were able to pack that much truth and in, in, into that amount of time and I think that's enough nuggets for people to chew on and, and hopefully challenge men to, to answer that call uh, beginning. The first call is to, that you would bend your knee and, 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 and submit your life to Christ completely yeah. and give him authority and rule over your life. And if that has already happened with you, then, then, then the challenge is pick up um, that banner, um, be the husband that's, that, that's not grabbing his wife and putting him in front of the lion. Um, you stand and you face down the lion, you hold that mantle. You be the man, you be the chief disciple maker in your home. You train your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you need help, the man church has great curriculum. Other podcasts we've done on here, um, where we've interviewed men in the, in the men's ministry, uh, and specifically the fatherhood ministry. So Rich, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you. It's
1: an honor. Thanks for having me, Brian. Awesome. All
0: right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you got a lot out of this. Um, and we have, uh, an email address. If you guys want to email us questions, we'll be doing, uh, episodes, you know, every month or two where we answer your guys's questions. You can email us at the podcast at news news.com. So that's the T H E podcast at 1819 news.com. And we'll end with, as always until next time, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry.